Ivan, Iron Man, Stewart, Super Off-Road. If you like fast action, this game is high gear competition. Welcome to Nostalgia, a chronological exploration of every NES game released in North America. I'm Mike. I'm Sean. And I'm Joe. And yes, that was the back of the box, but it was also a, an alleged quote from Ivan Stewart himself, uh, the if you like fast action, this game is high gear competition, which if he actually, forget about if he played the game or not, if he said that, that's pretty cool. That would be really cool. Like, I would... I would want that. You think he said that, like, outside of the context of this game? He was just talking about something, and they quoted him for the game? Yeah, he was just talking about off-road racing, and, he, and then they were like, cool, this <laughs> oh, would work okay. for the game. I thought maybe he was talking about, like, Chinese checkers or something, or, like, Monopoly. No, it would be, I mean, I think it would be really weird to ask, like, your, your cover athlete or whatever to, like, write the copy, but maybe he just really wanted to. Yeah, maybe he's also like thinking about his career after off-road racing and thinks that a cushy marketing job might be where it's at. I, that might have been what happened. Who knows? The back of the box also says that this is the first four-player simultaneous action game, which is not true. So who knows if he even said that quote because we can't even trust the back of the box to you know tell kids the truth. So is this game actually about super off-road racing? Or are they lying about that too? It is definitely about off-road racing. Whether it's super or not, I guess, is what the Essential Games list is for later on. But uh, just to clarify on the four-player simultaneous action, the bag of the box lies to you, and you buy the game based on that assumption of like, wow, the first time, four players, even though there's probably a few four-player NES games at this point. But the manual then clarifies that it's the first time four people can race together on an NES. Ah, I see. But you'd have to buy the game, open it up, read the manual, something that, I mean, like, how many, how often, if we play 10 games, how many times are you read in the manual? I used to read it all, but. <laughs> but, like, anymore. as a kid, if it was a game I was excited for, reading that manual was, on the way home from Blockbuster, was great. Wait, so you're telling me, Mike, that if you, you bought this game, and they claimed that it was the first time, but it wasn't. But they still did what they promised. You'd be you'd be upset, like, oh, this isn't the first time. I thought you were gonna say, like, no, you technically can't play four players, and then then I'd be upset. Yeah, it's all about just validity here. Okay, I'm I'm holding <laughs> them. I'm fact checking them. Uh, yes, it's true that it one, it doesn't matter because you're still getting four player action, which is great. And then number two, Joe, you mentioned that uh, if it's a game you're excited for, you would have looked forward to reading the manual. I don't know if I would have read the manual for, even if I got this game, for this kind of game, you know, like a, a racing game. I feel like this is just kind of something that, like, you just turn on, you drive a couple laps, you hope you get first place, you turn it off, you revisit it in a week. Yeah. And also, like, we've had some cool manuals, but but I feel like, you know, I grew up more in a time where manuals were, like, there for you to enjoy. Yeah, they're part of the packaging. Yeah, a lot of the these manuals we've, we've seen on the NES are literally, like, instructions. So maybe it wasn't as exciting for, for some of these things to read, like, press the B button to do this on the car ride home. 
This game was published by Trade West, and uh, the only reason I bring that up so early is because there's a certain commonality in Trade West games that um, I think that their marketing team has a certain belief as well about celebrity attribution. So we have played Ivan Stewart's... Were they Al Unser? They are not Al Unser, but they are Magic Johnson's Fast Break, which we played um, earlier this month. And then they are also John Elway's quarterback. Oh, the funny thing about all these is that, uh, you know, these games, uh, specifically Ivan Stewart's Super Off-Road, I can't confirm about Magic Johnson's Fast Break, um, you know, it, these were arcade games that didn't have celebrity attribution, but to bring them home, they needed the extra oomph, you know, like, well, this game would never sell if it was just off-road racing. We need Ivan Iron Man Stewart behind <laughs> the wheel. I'd buy anything with Ivan, with Ivan Iron Man Stewart's name on it. Do you, are you guys more familiar with Ivan Stewart or Al Unser? I, they both sound made up to me. Yeah. Well, who has the cooler name? <clears throat> Ivan. I don't know. There's something about Unser. Like, it just it just sounds so, like, salt of the earth <laughs> that I, I appreciate that one more. Yeah, it's just that he's got Iron Man in the middle of it. That uh, Now, if that it was Al cool. Iron Man Unser Jr., right. that's perfect. Now, Trade West was the publisher, but Rare is the developer, and Rare already made a isometric racing game on the NES, and it was called RC Pro-Am, and a few of us voted for it to be on the Essential Games list, but not a majority, so it, it does not live on the Essential Games list. But are you surprised to find that out? Were you thinking about RC Pro-Am at all while you were playing this game? Oh, yeah. 100%. Yeah. I mean, I, it makes sense that they would, that they, I guess they would hire the people that, that did the game that was like this to make a game like this. Because um, I, I still have fond memories of, of uh, RC Pro-Am, and th this, this very much feels like that with, you know, key differences. And without being too obvious about the title itself being called Super Off-Road, uh, there is a difference between, uh, you know, kart racers, or, you know, tr uh, things on a track, uh, whether it's NASCAR or F1 or Mario Kart, right? Like, there's a certain kind of expected experience on a track versus the off-road sports games. Uh, I think about, uh, you know, I never played any of these 8 or 16-bit ones, but the Dirt uh, series of games, that's a very hard racing game if you come from the kind of Gran Turismo world of things. Cars drive incredibly different on dirt than they do on a track. And so I'm just wondering, like, does off-roading excite you more than, um, you know, maybe the more competitive NASCAR F1 style uh, racing? Or is it more of a trade-off where you're like, well, this isn't the kind of racing I get excited about or that the majority of the public is interested in. So it's kind of just a niche category. I mean, me personally who is not really into racing of any kind in, like, the real world, I think off-roading sounds cooler to me. I, so, like, NASCAR, again, I could be totally wrong here, but it feels like it's just more about purely about speed. Um, and this off-roading feels like it's it's a little more about, like, navigation and terrain. Obviously terrain, but, like, in navigation, like, like taking taking these hills, taking these potholes, these jumps, and, you know, like... It's maybe not ex necessarily as much about like just how fast can you go. Yeah, I'd I'd say that you know the the Gran Turismo series and like the, the simulation uh, racing games, they're just a bit too. I mean, I still like those games, but they are much more like sanitized, and there isn't even like a damage model half the time, and 
So it just sort of feels like you're you 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 are literally like racing toy cars sometimes. Uh, but I appreciate uh, the games that try and step out the bounds of just straight motorsport, whether it is uh, more of like a rally or off-road situation or going more fantastical and have it be ridiculous street racing. Like, I, I like it when a racing game has more of a hook than like, we have every car. Right, right. And I, I think similarly, it, it's like if ESPN put on an F1 race, like I'm more inclined to watch that just because of the high competitive level. Whereas if they put on the off-road racing, there's just something feels lo-fi about it. There's not, the stakes aren't quite there for me and I, and I wouldn't tune in, but in video games, racing is racing. Like for me, super off-road and RC pro-am and you know, if it was racing uh, with jet skis on water, it's like, they're all the same kind of thing. It's like, you're driving a vehicle from the start to the finish line, and yeah, it's totally different how it controls or whatever, but that's not the, the selling point. The selling point is the race itself. Would you play a running video game? Yeah, tr- I mean, I said track and field was a great game. <laughs> we just hit an A and B yes. on that one, and I thought it was fun. <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah, I right, forgot but, about uh, that. <laughs> it, yeah, I, I was, as soon as you said that, that's what I thought. I was like, I know he's going to go track and field here, but, <laughs> but I do, I don't know, I do think that, like, Yes, obviously the it's a racing like racing is racing, but there's a difference to like the ra- the difficulty of the racing being this like maneuverability and and dealing with the like obstacles on the road as opposed to like you have a largely clear space and the difficulty is like how can you go faster than the other guy like that it does feel like a different type of sport and anyone who knows anything about NASCAR or any sort of racing is probably like cringing at how little I seem to know but like that's just like my my layman's view of it well Joe I think you're you're spot on though about especially for this 8-bit interpretation of off-road racing there's only so much that they can make to have off-road racing translate onto the NES right Uh, the dirt rally games are are crazy simulation style games that I genuinely can't get a hand on like I can I can complete the tutorials but throw me into those actual races and I suck but on the NES game, like, you know, Super Off-Road, I was having a good time, and it wasn't fair, it wasn't that challenging, but the whole challenge that they've created around the game is how hard it is to control the cars in the dirt in this isometric view where turning is everything and making sure that you don't uh, ram into other cars to slow down and stuff becomes the, the key to victory. I think that they approached off-road racing, specifically with 8-Bit in mind, the best way they could have. Yeah, no, I I agree. I, I so I actually have some history with this uh, franchise where uh, when I was a Super NES uh, player when I was like you know seven, um, I had Super Off Road the Baja, which is a much more like typical nowadays racing game uh, where it's you know behind the car and you're just going straight kind of and but there's like turns and it's sort of like faux 3d um and the the terrain is still very much part of the game but because in this game specifically they're trying to put an entire track onto one screen uh the terrain is much more uh it's much more exaggerated and they kind of made me feel while i was playing that this is the first racing game that i've played in which it feels like I'm crashing the entire time. Like, I'm just always in the 
I'm in the process of wrecking my vehicle the entire time I'm playing. So I think they did a really good job, you know, putting that feeling together. Yeah, I mean, I agree. And I think that the uh, control scheme adds to that a lot, too, because it is like RC Pro-Am in which turning right will turn your vehicle to its right, no matter which way you're facing, which is the only way I think you can really do it from this kind of view. But it does take a moment to get used to that. Like, And in RC Pro-Am, for better or for worse, in RC Pro-Am, there was a little more context to that because it's like you're controlling an RC car. Yeah, you're always looking down at it. Yeah, yeah, that's how it feels to control remote control a car. But like this is like, yes, you're controlling this real car, but still from this third person like overworld view. And I'm not saying that like makes a big deal that like the, oh, that there's like this cognitive dissonance that doesn't exist in RC Pro Am because of that like little bit of plot. But it did, it did just it gave context to like, oh, this is why this is so difficult in RC Pro Am. This is why it feels weird. Where this is like, it's this was more apparent to me that it feels weird because of a technical limitation or not even technical like just because of a design choice yeah yeah a limitation limitation based on their design yeah and there are some major differences between rc pro-am and super off-road but i think sean mentioned the biggest one the one that um is kind of a love it or hate it feature and that is that in rc pro-am you only see uh, you know what you're dri- what you're currently driving on and maybe like five feet ahead you know you're they have arrows guiding you along and so that you can anticipate the turns and everything but if I recall correctly that was one of my complaints was that uh, the speed at which you drive and the view at which they're giving you there isn't really a lot of ability to anticipate especially with the arrows the diagonals weren't perfect they 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 didn't draw like right angles instead they had diagonal arrows so you had to just kind of anticipate quickly. Uh, in ours, in um, Super Off-Road, the entire track is presented to you at all times, and it's a really small view. So, yeah, you were playing with remote control cars in um, RC Pro-Am, but in Super Off-Road, it's like you're watching from, like, the nosebleeds in the stadium <laughs> yeah. of what could be, like, um, you know, after this, the monster truck rally goes on, you exactly. know? Um, and, and I think, for me, this was actually a pro to see the entire stage, to see where everyone is. Um, it's definitely great to know that you're, uh, like if you're in second and the guy in first is really far away, now might be a great time for a, a boost to try to catch up or to say like, well, second place gives me enough cash that I'll just be content with that, you know? Whereas in RC Pro-Am, I feel like I didn't have all that information in front of me. Yeah, this is sort of like, they they take the mini map in the corner of any typical racing game these days and just blow it up to be the entire game. Uh, because, they, you know, it's really just giving you that information, but now there's little uh, mounds of dirt that you can jump off of now. But is it too small to make controlling the car satisfying? Are you doing uh, maybe your turns are too round or um, you're driving too wild because of how small your car is on these maps? That's just a question. I'm not accusing the game of anything. <laughs> I'd I mean, actually say that the... So with the size of the actual vehicles on the screen, I was pretty surprised by the the amount of different variations of angles and uh, just different states that the vehicle can, vehicle can be in. 
which I think is half the battle here. Like that's sort of how you're 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 giving the information of how you're driving is like if you're moving at a certain angle, but they only drew so many uh, angles that the car can look like it's in, then it's going to feel wrong, and you're probably going to make a lot of mistakes because you think you're going in a certain direction, but you're not. Whereas I think that there's actually a lot of information being given to you here. I liked the feel of this game. I sort of did too, like despite what I initially thought I would feel, because it, it is it is all so small and so zoomed out that you do lose a lot of the like illusion of speed you would get otherwise. And I guess I, I was surprised at the times where driving in this game was actually very exciting because it doesn't on paper look like it would be very exciting at all. It feels like you're going very slow because you're so far far out and like yes you've got these obstacles but they're so small they don't feel like oh I took I got a huge jump off of this. It just you just see like it's like you're seeing yeah like it's like you're seeing that mini map. It's like you're seeing like a like a diagram or a chart of how much air you just got. You know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. like it's a little like boringified. But I mean, I will also say that like I watched some YouTube videos after playing too, where things got even more exciting. That it never happened for me because I'm just not good enough at this game. But like, the excitement comes from the like built-in feeling of like I need to catch up to that guy. I need to watch out for this thing, and like you see the danger, even if it doesn't like appear as exciting on screen. So like, it, it I guess I'm kind of giving a pro and a con at the same time. Like it does not look as fast but i feel like they found ways to like make it still feel urgent and fast paced and the tracks have uh not only variety in the way that they're laid out or even the uh intricacies of the crisscross and having to know exactly like which path you have to follow like you can't just drive around if there's a semicircle and then a full circle that you have to drive within you can't just cut around the corner and go back to the check uh to the starting point it won't count as a full lap there's plenty of intricacies like that and and pits and hills and stuff like that but i feel like in terms of the actual driving in isometric it's actually not as loose or slippery as it could be knowing what it might be like to drive a car in dirt. I feel like that got lost in the translation. Yes, it's kind of crazy, you know, like your car behaves crazy on the um, on the jumps and hitting the pitfalls. And when it uses the boosts and hits into a wall, like it spins out. But I feel like there's no real punishment for going top speed on dirt and doing like a tight turn as there could be in a driving game. And maybe that's for the best on the NES, uh, but it definitely loses, uh, you know, some of its, uh, I guess simulation would be the word there, but even just some of its authenticity uh, with that in mind. Yeah, I mean, I, I get what you mean. Like, it, it doesn't. It never feels like you're, you're sort of peeling out from, that, that your wheels are, are losing traction or anything like that. You're just always... Like you just have terrible suspension. Just feels like you have terrible suspension, and anything you hit is just going to make you fly out in some other direction. But yeah, there doesn't really feel like dirt. It just feels like bad pavement. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I almost feel like it maybe feels worse than that. Where sometimes, like when you're turning, it just feels very analytical. Like suddenly you're just like click, 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 click. I've turned over three degrees. I've cl- or turned over like whatever three units of 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 turn 
instead of like on the straightaways when you're when you're actually like interacting with the obstacles on the ground it it feels much more wild but it, yeah the the whole turning thing it it feels like oh i now now it's it is this perfect it is this perfect curve this this perfect bezier curve or whatever that i'm turning on yeah yeah it feels very calculated which is which could be good or bad i don't know yeah i and, and i'm not i mean i don't know i i guess i'm just echoing that like i don't feel the like slip of being on dirt like like you guys were saying the main mode of this game the only mode of this game uh it does lack a uh track what do you call those like time trials it it doesn't have any of that instead you just select the number of players and then you enter this career mode of sorts where uh you start off with the qualifying races and continue to move on through i mean like i I feel like it's like i think it tops out at 99 or something like that but don't quote me on that i did like 15 yeah uh but basically the idea is is that you and four of your friends will just uh talk through the whole mode as if it's you and four friends um, sign up for uh, which country you want to represent and everything, and you start the game with zero cash and go right into the first qualifying race. You then win money from both finding it on the track, which is a little, like, unnecessary in my opinion, <laughs> and then also just winning the race, the natural way to win money in a, in a game. But the prizes are distributed between first, second, third, and fourth, so you don't have to win first place to win cash to then upgrade your car and uh it's actually pretty easy to win big later on provided you just make any kind of semblance of money early on and spend it i'm gonna say correctly but i don't know what the heck i'm doing i just was like yeah (laughs) Yeah. tire tires (laughs) sound good like let's build tires like yeah (laughs) i just like kept buying all the nitro because that was the most the, the the quickest path to uh satisfaction i don't know yeah no it'll definitely boost you all the way to first place and since you can stock up on those too i I, i'm sure that also cops out at around 99 or whatever like (laughs) you can have so many of those might as well stock up on them it's essentially like the other ones are stat points right so it's like your tires are this good your shocks are this good your acceleration is this good and and things don't cost that much it's kind of weird um so i i think that there is a a problem here where it's not like you can't win the first race. It's not like your car sucks so bad that you're finishing in fourth. And now it's like, well, kid, you just got to continue to persevere, get that cash, and, and continue to build up this car, and maybe one day you'll finish in first place. It's like, no, you probably finish in second on the first race, second again on the second race, and now your car's awesome, and you've learned a little bit about the driving, so now you're going to first. And I'm not saying you're going to get first every time, but you're winning enough cash between first and second place that you're able to continue to just get a better and better car with little repercussions in terms of uh, setbacks from the actual game, especially if you're playing with just three other friends because then it's just the skill of your friends and what they're adding on to their cars versus what you're adding on to your cars, not necessarily any kind of computer enhancement. Yeah, one thing that I, I did appreciate about this game uh is it's it's very egalitarian like what whether or not you you finish in first or fourth like yeah you get some money to improve but they also that there's an there are identical uh brunette there's these leggy brunettes that they'll give you whether you're on first place in the podium or on fourth place in the podium like that they do not care if you won or not they're always there 
Um, it just it just feels like the game is trying to tell you like you know you're you're doing okay, you know. Yeah, you should get like the the guy who works the uh, counter at the local Seven Eleven if you're in fourth place. Because Seven Eleven sometimes have gas stations. That was where I was going. With That's the car true. Hook. There yeah. are gas stations that are <laughs> right. <laughs> um, no, Sean, you're right. And and look, to be honest, it it only enhances, I guess, like the uh, longevity of the game, so that if you do suck at it, eventually you'll just have a good enough car. That you can persevere on. And it doesn't do the Al Unser thing where you can just play as Ivan Stewart and have a totally maxed out car like you could with Al Unser. But it, I'm just saying, like, it don't take that long. I feel like by race six or seven, if you finished in first place the majority of times, you could have a fully, almost fully decked out car. Yeah, I, like, I really, I appreciated this, like, kind of customize your car boost. You know, it gives you, like, a incentive to do well and it makes it feel like you're building your car you know as you go you're 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 building your car but it all sort of felt to me a little arbitrary it felt like i'm you know picking things not necessarily noticing the the the, like the specific benefits but then yeah it just feels like it's a little a little quick to to max to max out or to just get really good and i don't know just something about it i can't really put my finger on something about it I just didn't feel like that satisfaction of like, oh, I chose this and now this is my car and I'm really getting to experience like the consequence of my cho- the consequence, the the result of my choice. I was definitely being cheeky earlier about the br- the brunette thing. I, I, what, what really is happening here, it's a very shallow system that's just, I think this was just their grasping at straws to give it any kind of value outside of playing with friends. And I don't really think that, that like you need this upgrade system if you're playing with friends it's just you know you're going to have various levels of skill among you instead of you versus three identical computers that are tuned and to be harder or easier to race against i think that's really all it's there for is to feel some kind of progression when you're playing alone but <laughs> taking a page from gran turismo or even a final fantasy game it's like the first tire upgrade is 40,000. Great. And 40,000 is not that hard to get. But in Gran Turismo, right, if you want the Foley, if you want the best tires, they cost more than the than $40,000. They're going to, you know, like, that's not true, but it worked with the analogy here. You just buy all the tires and you'll have better, tri- you'll have better tires. <laughs> right, right. And in Final Fantasy games, my point was that, like, you know, you buy the sword for, like, $10. And then eventually, you know, you get the broadsword for $500, and then you get the, uh, you know, uh, the Masamune eventually for 5000 right? It's like things scale up, whereas in this game, tires are just always 40000 and and that's just an inconsequential amount of money. Uh, I, I'll look up the exact stat, but I'm pretty sure you win like $200,000 for first place. Like, that's crazy. But isn't that, But there's also like... Between all the different stats, there's, uh, what, like maybe 50, not not 50, maybe like 30 dots between them. I, I don't I know. I think it's like eight. Number. I think it's eight. It's low. Between all the different stats, though. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That might add up to 30, yeah. Maybe you're not always going to dump that all into tires, so the amount of budget that you give to tires isn't going to be 200,000. Yeah, but the most expensive thing is top speed at 100,000 and you can upgrade that twice just by winning a race, a single race. Like, uh, you know, then your max top speed happens 
by race six of 99. <laughs> <laughs> I, I guess what I'm saying is, it's like Joe's right that you needed to feel it more. Like the top speed should almost be like, oh, now, now it's too fast. Like I, I shouldn't be going this fast. Like I need to, I need to balance this out or whatever. But then we would have probably ragged on the game for that a little bit, right? That like, oh, these cars start out and they just busted up pieces of shit where like my tire kept popping while I was driving the race because I don't have the good tires. Like. <laughs> I mean, this podcast is mostly just grass is greener. Like that's that's all we really are. Complainers. <laughs> but I think that maybe like what it what it needed was some like reason to do one instead of the other. Some like risk reward kind of like yeah, I can I can upgrade my speed, but it's going to be at the expense of my maneuverability. It, I guess it just feels like there's really kind of yes, there's a lot of different combinations of how you can get to like your end, but it's really there's really one end result, which is to be like just completely maxed out and everything. Yeah, I mean, from from level to level, at least like early on, there is yeah. naturally when you have a system like this going to be uh, a cost benefit analysis into what you upgrade, but um it it yeah at the end of the day you will have a generically awesome car um you know similarly to how Bethesda has changed their uh their leveling systems um at the end of the day you can't you can't um be a character that is that is unique it it's always going to be a god sorry sorry joe sorry no no but like you know what though like that is something because you know it, w- w- I guess you're referencing that I am very into Starfield, even though it's very <laughs> controversial whether or not it's good or not. But I'm loving it. But I I haven't gotten far enough in the game to like get to a point where it's like okay, I've gotten I've maxed out everything I wanted for my specific build, and now I just do all the other stuff. And I don't know how I'm gonna feel about that when it's like yeah, when I'm like when I'm like level ninety and it's like I have everything. I'm like well now I don't really feel like my character anymore. I feel like. Yeah, like I, I don't know how if I'm gonna love that, but but I mean I see what you're saying that like yeah for the for the duration of the game until you get to that point you are customizing it and being unique. But like if you get to that point very early, out of a lot of races, then then maybe it'll I don't know I I am starting to see that like it it feels like maybe they realize that just having a race over and over and over again for 90 races needs something else. And they, maybe this was tacked on without like as much thought. And maybe that's why it, it feels like you can kind of cheat it a little bit. But I mean, for me again, someone who doesn't play it, like is not that into racing games, when I do play a racing game, the fun of it to me is like oddly in between the races when I'm like, got to prepare for my next race. Yeah, like that that sort of, yeah, yeah, and like really the the one that jumps to mind to really show you how much of a not racing game guy I am, the one that really jumps to mind is like the Star Wars Pod Racer for the N64. Like I remember doing that a lot, and like that was like my favorite part of the game was like, what can I add to my to my pod? What can I you know like get ready for that? I'm like role playing, <laughs> like all right, I'm the I'm the driver getting ready for my next race, you know. So the gist is, the driving and the races themselves, great. Uh, the mode may be leaving a bit to be desired. But I will say that the, uh, and I don't speak for everybody, but the the system for the mode, like the, the way that it divvies out, like the pros and cons of first place and last place, is a pretty unique system. Forget about just in a racing game, but just in general in a four-player competitive kind of game. 
where if you finish in first, you gain an extra life, and everybody starts the game with three lives, and I know that's kind of weird in a racing game, uh, yeah, to have lives, but follow me, follow me, Sean, in last place, that you still get some money, but you lose a life, and so if you finish in last place, let's say all three times to start, or eventually just run out of lives... You have a game over system where you don't, like, exit for good. It's not like now three friends have fun and you have to wait for them to lose their lives or whatever. They still need that fourth player, which they could fill in with a computer. Or you can choose to keep your car and all your upgrades, too. But you just lose all your money and points that you had beforehand. So I feel like... It's a very unique game over system that, again, is just like the upgrade system, not punishing or intricate enough. But if we're just talking about four friends getting together, I still think that this is a very amicable solution where nobody's really, like, too beat up. And, yeah, the guy who, who finished enough times and last that he now ran out of lives probably is going to run out of lives again quickly. But at least he gets to keep his car upgrades. On the sequels and spinoff side, uh, Sean did mention Super Off-Road, the Baja. Uh, Sean, do you have any other comments about that uh, specific uh, Super Nintendo game you played on Super Nintendo? Yeah, Super Nintendo, uh, I'll say that even though it has changed perspective and it's much more uh, visually impressive, it also just feels like you're crashing for the entire game. So, but, but which, is, which, you know, I apparently like, so uh, take that as you will. So I imagine it's using that Mode 7 um, hardware that the Super Nintendo had to do like a 3D effect? I would imagine. Just I feel like it's a, it's a bit more advanced than Mario Kart. It's funny. Uh, you know, we're obviously like more in the weeds of video gaming than uh, casual people are. And I feel like people who listen to this also, if you're going back to listen to NES games, then you're cool with it. But like, it, it's weird that we all know what Mode 7 means and looks like. Like, that's just, it's such a generic thing. It's not like they called it, like, the, the Super Nintendo 3D effect or something. Like they didn't brand it. They just called Mode 7, and everybody's like, yeah, I know what that looks like. Was it even, like, consumer-facing, being like, we're using Mode 7? Or was it just like, wow, cool, 3D, you know? No, I think, I think it's now popular because, like, learning about the technology is kind of niche popular now. Right. Uh, like, I just know it through Final Fantasy VI. Like, that's that's, like, my understanding of it and then i like learned about other stuff later but like i wasn't sure if it was like if they like advertised like all right kids check out mode seven on the on the super nintendo because i think mode one is just like an image <laughs> no no it's definitely not on the back of the box yeah, yeah. it's it's <laughs> yeah. not on the back of the box for sure and then one other comment about super off-road the baja i just can't stop thinking about baja blast that mountain dew drink when I hear the Baja, but that's a me problem, right? You're not thinking no, of Baja I mean, Blast, are you? No, I mean, it's because Mountain Dew has pretty much laid claim to the entire, like, California Baja by, by, by giving a soda that name. So it's their fault. You're just a victim of it. Can I tell you guys something? Baja Blast? It's fine. No, come on. It's just fine. All right, we got to take it. it away. Take it away. I don't understand. You can cut this out if you're afraid that we're going like, to lose listeners or something, but I don't understand. We just need to start the Essential Games list right now, or <laughs> yeah, I'm going to yeah. get very angry. 
It's a uh, it, Tabaja Blast. For those of you that don't know, is a Taco Bell exclusive. I feel like uh, for, that was like I not think, anymore. I think yeah, just recently it's gone into the public domain. Maybe like twenty <laughs> public domain. They're, make, they're making a Baja Blast <laughs> horror film now. Like <laughs> that's very good, Joe. I appreciate that. Um, yeah, it seems like it's all the way back in 2004, though. I wouldn't have thought that it was that old. Um, I wonder, did Code Red come before or after Baja Blast? Code Red over Baja Blast any day of the week. He wasn't saying even... a qualitative thing. He was asking I know, which came I'm just, first. I know. I'm just saying, like, that you just mentioned Code Red. I'm like, now there's a good Mountain Dew that deserves the, the hype that Baja Blast gets. You're the guy saying Code Red all day every week, and I'm in this uh, Mad Men meme. I'm Don Draper saying, I don't think about you at all. Like, I just <laughs> do not think about Code Red at all. Like, that's just not a good Mountain Dew I, flavor. I did, I did wonder when we started this podcast how long it would take for us to debate Mountain Dew flavors and really just live up to the stereotype. And I'm just surprised that it took this long. <laughs> yeah, I feel like we're, uh, I don't know about you guys, don't drink a lot of Mountain Dew. Yeah, I don't. I <laughs> don't know the last time I had one, to be honest. <laughs> the Mountain Dew Wiki says that Code Red was the uh, first ever permanent flavor other than the original Mountain Dew uh, to be added to the lineup. So I'm kind of surprised to find out that Baja Blast was only recently added as a permanent flavor, considering that things like Voltage and Whiteout are considered permanent flavors. Voltage? Come on. I don't know what that means. Yeah. I remember one called Livewire. Yeah, that's still a permanent flavor in there. In oh, that review. still exists? Uh, let's see. In the United States, yep, it's been around since 2003 to the present. Wow. It's, um, it's got artificial orange flavor in it, Livewire. Hell yeah. All right, back to Super Off-Road, if you guys don't mind. Is that cool? If you must. Okay. On the sequels and spinoff side, the uh, arcade version of Super Off-Road, which again was just called Super Off-Road, had a arcade expansion track pack. Long before Rock Band and Guitar Hero were doing their track packs, uh, Super Off-Road did it in 1989. It is a add-on board for the arcade units that contained eight brand new tracks. Uh, it also featured the ability to... Uh, brand new abilities for players to choose between either a regular truck or a dune buggy. Oh. Now, you had to, as an individual, buy this board and bring it to whatever arcade you ended up at, right? And then uh, no, you take the, it home with you after. Yeah, you could do that, I guess, but definitely not. <laughs> uh, the arcade owner would install this board because Super Off-Road was just making so many quarters for them that they were like, I gotta go get the track pack. <laughs> That's what he sounds like. Super Off-Road the Baja, back to that for a second, Sean, didn't have Ivan Stewart on it. It didn't. It was just called Super Off-Road the Baja, so you know I was what, confused. You know what it had all over it, though? Uh, I don't know. The Toyota Valvoline? brand. Oh. No, Toyota. <laughs> <laughs> that makes sense. I don't quite remember that, but it, it tracks. Apparently, the name and logo were displayed all over the tracks, and then the pre-race music was inspired by the I Love What You Do For Me Toyota jingle. That was no used way. by the company's marketing campaign at the time of the game's release. That's pretty crazy. Didn't know that. And in 1997, an arcade sequel, Off-Road Challenge, was released. Um, and uh, this time it is a third-person 3D driving view-like 
um, I guess, Super Off-Road the Baja was. And it was eventually ported to the Nintendo 64 in 1998. And then it got a second sequel for the Off-Road Challenge called Off-Road Thunder in 1999. Um, and then that came to consoles under the Midway Arcade Treasures series, but not until 2005. Did you guys ever buy any of those things, like, for... Like collections of arcade games for your PS2 or Xbox? No. I think I might have had one. I don't know if I bought it. Like someone, maybe like my mom found that at a garage sale or something and was like, oh, 180 video games. You'll, you'll love this. <laughs> <laughs> and then I like played like three of them or something and then, then moved on. But yeah, never, never really went out of my way for them. It's funny because like the arcade treasures to me are usually like, you know, oh, it's going to have Pac-Man and Frogger and, you know, it's going to have, like, stuff that, like, I could always play any time. Like, it's not hard to get access to Pac-Man. But to find out that uh, an arcade uh, game made in 1999 was then released part of, like, a a compilation pack, like, that actually does sound like, yeah, I wouldn't have bought it at the time, but now I'm kind of intrigued. It's, you know, it's not easy to play those arcade games if you don't have MAME. So that would have been, like, a legitimate way to experience... Uh, off-road thunder and probably a bunch of other obscure shit that came out in like the late 90s in arcades where where were you playing arcade games in the late 90s you weren't going to dave and busters yet right guys i had like you know a few local arcades still oh interesting to be honest i didn't really play a lot of like actual arcade games you know really in my in my youth joe you might not have played a lot of arcade games but you have done something a lot and that is the essential games list. <laughs> You've done better. All right, so let's start with the RC Pro-Am versus Super Off-Road. I think I'm giving it to Super Off-Road, which sounds kind of crazy. Um, it's definitely easier. Easier to drive this car, easier to uh, tell what's going on, easier to win. So that's a huge plus. Uh, dry, you know, racing games in general are not something... This is my problem with the F-Zero series. I don't want to start in 30th and then finish in, like, 14th. Like, that doesn't feel good. 14th? Uh, you you, you want to be, like, first, second, or third. You need to be on the podium. Mario Kart's got it right where you have, like, eight other people that you go up against. Now it's 12. And you're, you're you know... I, f- I think it's the Mario Kart 64 is the one where, like, if you finish in fourth overall, they do an extended cutscene where your character just drives to a corner while a celebration is going on and then bombs themselves. Like, that's how bad it feels to get fourth place. That's how it feels in every game. So I'm kind of glad that uh, this was a game I could win at without being ridiculously good at either. That said... It's a pretty shallow game, too, and it is a little disappointing that uh, within, like, 15 minutes, I felt like I had experienced the game and was now like, well, better get some people together so we can all play this game and have a good time. This seems like it's a perfectly great multiplayer game, the kind of NES game that I would want to own just in case I did have friends over and be like, yeah, let's just do a couple rounds of Super Offroad. We're not going to play all 99 tracks or whatever. But just being like a a, a novelty uh, multiplayer game isn't enough for me to put it on the essential games list. And so it's staying off on my vote. What about you, Sean? Yeah, I mean, I, I, I try not to use it as a measuring stick in, in this podcast, but there really just is not enough content 
in this game. And I really do hate the term content when using that, uh, using that way for a game this old where that's not really a thing. And like game length, isn't something that, that is a, uh, a, an equivalence for game quality, but it's really just, you get one screen of a track and then you get like a different arrangement. And then just that ad nauseum still fun to do, but I, I can't say that that it's an essential, uh, formula. Joe, uh, if we are talking about our uh, opinion, RC Pro-Am versus this game, I give mine to RC Pro-Am, actually. I, I think I just, for me, I just prefer, you know, the, you had some power-ups and you had some, like, weapons and stuff in that, and that was, that that added a little more excitement to me. But, I, I mean, I see this game, I agree with you, Mike, that, like, this is, like, a good game to just, like, have when you have friends over to, like, it's a racing game and it functions, so you're gonna have a good time if you're playing with friends. Um, but I think that overall, it is sort of basic, sort of shallow. A little, I'd want more out of it to be like, to in order for me to tell people, no, you gotta play this game. I, I mean, a lot more. So definitely not on my essential games list. All right, that's three no's with a um, overwhelmingly positive thirty minutes leading up to it. So that's pretty funny. Um, but, you know, that's how the show can go. We could throw you guys for a loop. Sometimes we can put games that uh, you will demand for the following three years that they should still be on the Essential Games list and they just don't wind up there. And other times, games that you don't see coming, I'm looking at you, Terra Cresta, uh, wind up on the Essential Games list without much talk. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I didn't talk about it at all. Yeah, yeah. Well, you have to play it. That's what I was gonna say. Yeah, like, I want, I want to get your thoughts on that. But yeah. uh, please play that. I mean, I know you play every game before we do our best of, but that's like three years from now. So please play <laughs> it before that. I got time. Yeah. Um, and also, Joe, I wanted to resurrect. Uh, actually, no, it wasn't you who said this. It was Sean earlier about the um, uh, running video game and like, would I enjoy a game that was about racing like track and field or cross country or whatever. And I just wanted to say that any kid that has ever participated in their high school level or junior high level uh, cross country or track and field has thought about this on a mandatory run at one point or another of how to make <laughs> a good running video game. And like, what would you do? What would the controller be like? And how would it work? Like, would it just be like a rhythm game where you have to tap the right buttons? Would it be like Quop? Um, yeah, I think it'd be Quop. Yeah, and actually, I've decided that it's none of those things, that the only good, whether it's track and field, cross country, marathon running, the only good racing game that you could get for that kind of running like on your feet would be some kind of it's football manager but you're the coach of uh like you know like you're the coach of like nike or adidas or you know like one of those teams and you have to recruit new players or you know you could be at the college level you could be at the pro level uh the olympic level is like the you know the dream and you have to uh manage these people's schedules their rest time their their problems and you just have to be the coach and it's more like a you know game where there's spreadsheets and grids and stuff like that (laughs) that's the that's like the real that's the real version of the fun way to do that i i could see a a, i could see a a funny mario kart-esque running game where you're just runners you pick up power-ups you pick up banana peels and you shoot like Guns at each other. I don't know. Like Joe, guns. you need <laughs> Joe. You need Mario and Sonic at the Olympic Games in your life. Oh, is that is that how that goes? I never actually like. 
I, was I don't think say, that there's. It sounds like you're just describing Grand Theft, Grand Theft Auto. But... Yeah, I was gonna say I don't think there's guns. Yeah, but Grand Theft Auto is not a race. It's not a foot race. It's you like, can. It's like a kart racing game, but on foot. Okay. Yeah, actually, you, get, you know, why have they never Blue put Shell? in like a? You can sign up for like a 5K in Grand Theft Auto Five. <laughs> like that should be like you know, in Grand Theft Auto Six, if I can't join my local turkey trot and just like show up 20 minutes late get the participatory medal, and then just eat all the shit I want for the rest of the day, then is it really Grand Theft Auto 6? Well, you'd have to kill everybody that participated before or after. Why do you think I'm showing up 20 minutes late? Oh. I had to get my wanted level back down. <laughs> Next week, we're playing Phantom Fighter, and the nostalgia bite for this month is Sweet Home, which, if you don't know, is kind of the predecessor to the Resident Evil series, and it was basically... A Sean demand and also a Discord demand. So yeah, I demanded it like a year ago. Yeah, so everybody's demanding it, and I'm like, yeah, I like great franchises, so let's check out Sweet Home. I don't know how well you can make Resident Evil on the NES, but we'll find out. 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 We'll find out.